John chapter 17 this morning. Again, Jesus' own high priestly prayer, uh, oftentimes called the Holy of Holies of the Gospel of John, which we've been in the Gospel of John for a number of months now. I think we would all agree in light of even some of the magnificent comments that have, uh, that have been made in John's Gospel already to say that this is the Holy of Holies is certainly makes this stand out. Let me read the first eight verses this morning. John chapter 17, Jesus' own prayer to the Father, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Well, we've spent the last several weeks kind of going through this high priestly prayer, looking at Jesus' prayer just before going to the cross, praying, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He's letting us see back into eternity past that the whole purpose of the cross, the whole purpose of God's work of redemption has been for His glory, has been for His honor to make much of Him. And now as Christ prepares to go to the cross, He's seeking, Lord, let's do it. Glorify Yourself that in all those who will be saved through what I'm about to do, through what we are about to do, Your name would be exalted. You would be the one who would receive the honor and glory from it. And as he continues in the prayer, as we make our way down into verse 6, we've seen that Jesus is just rehearsing. He's he's praying to the Father, if you will. This is the work that you've accomplished in the lives of these that you've given to me. This is who they are. These are the characteristics of, of, of those that you have done this redemptive work in. And so we have kind of labeled these next few verses, beginning in verse 6, with Jesus' own understanding of what a true Christian is. And we're just using his own words, and then we in prayer are praying these back to the Father. We're, We're making Christ's prayer to the Father our own prayer to the Father. And that prayer may take different shapes. Maybe it's a word of thanksgiving. Maybe it's a prayer of of gratitude. Maybe it's a prayer of praise for what God has done. Maybe it's a prayer of plea because this is what a Christian is. But as I look at my soul, I don't see this. But together we take God's word and we're praying it back to him. As we look down at verse 7 and 8, now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This morning, the third thing that Jesus draws our attention to of what a true Christian is, a true Christian from verses 7 and 8 is someone who has grasped with their mind the truths of the gospel. Someone who has grasped with their mind the truth of the gospel. A Christian is not someone who just 
hears the gospel, has a good feeling about it, thinks, well, I'd rather go to heaven and not hell. Yeah, sure, let me jump on board with that. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is one who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, with their physical ears, but even more so with the ears of faith. And by grace, those spiritual ears have been opened to hear the voice of God, to see the glory of God, to see himself in light of who, uh, in light of who God is, and then to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, to see the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you go back up a couple verses, beginning in verse 6, to where we initially began, what Jesus says a Christian is, go back to verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people. We said there a Christian is one, someone to whom the character of God has been revealed. Someone who God has revealed his glory, his greatness, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his wrath towards sinners. He has communicated himself to his people. And then we saw in, also in verse 6, a Christian is one whom you gave me out of the world. A Christian is one who's chosen by God, elected by God in eternity past to receive this revelation of who God is. And in verses 7 and 8 is where we come to this morning, has now understood who God has revealed himself to be and understood that this is by grace that God has laid a special claim upon their lives. And they have understood who they are in light of who God is. And that this God has also mercifully and graciously and kindly and lovingly sent to them a rescuer. Not just any rescuer. His very own son. His beloved son sent his son to come to take on flesh, to live as a human being, though Christ is not inherently human. He comes and puts on flesh. He becomes the God-man. And He lives among men. We're going to look this morning in John chapter 3. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to live out what God purposed Him to live out. And the Son came and lived the life you and I were supposed to live. We were created for God, but we didn't. We rejected God. We hated God, our Creator. Christ came and did what we should have done. But then He also died the death that those for whom God has laid special claim, Christ died for them. Christ took upon Himself our sin and He paid the penalty for it. And so to the Christian whose spiritual eyes and ears have been opened to understand these things, Christ is not just a historical figure who did these things. Christ is what? Everything. Christ is all. Christ is the most important person who's ever lived. Christ is the most beautiful person who's ever lived. Christ is the most precious one who's ever lived. Christ is that pearl of great price. That when the, the individual finds it buried under the ground, goes and sells everything he has because he must have this plot of land. Why? Because he wants acres and acres and acres of land. No, I, I really only want this one thing, the pearl of great price, which is Christ. But I will sell everything and do take everything that's necessary. I must have this Christ. Do you hear the difference between somebody who hears the gospel and says, I got a good feeling about this. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. 
I definitely don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, what do I need to do? Versus what Jesus is saying here. A Christian is one who understands. It's affected your mind. Christ has affected your mind. And out of the overflow of your mind, Christ has affected your affections. Christ has affected your priorities. Christ has affected everything. Jesus is not saying that a Christian is one who understands everything. He's saying a Christian is one who has grasped what's necessary. And what is necessary? God, self, Christ. Christ. And what must I do to have this Christ? Repent and believe. He's done it all. There's nothing for you to do. Don't try to be a Nicodemus. Don't try, to, don't try to do anything extra. Look to Christ. Behold this Christ upon the cross. Be entranced and captivated and so in love with Him. He's done it all. I just need to forsake everything else and have it. Fine. I sell it all as long as I get Him. Jesus here is saying that when the Father sent Him, the Father sent him with words. We see that in verse 8. I have four, verse 7, now they know everything that you've given me is from you. And contextually, what has the Father given to him? Them. Go back to verse 6. All that you have given to me, now they know all that you have given to me comes from you. The chosen ones, those to whom you've laid special claim, it comes from you. They know you get the glory. They don't. They don't get to pat themselves on the back. They don't get to boast in themselves. They don't get to make much of themselves. They get to worship you. Now they know all that you've given to me comes from you. For, verse 8, I've given them the words you gave me. You gave me the words to make sure we get the glory, to make sure it's all about us. And I gave them the words you gave me. Later this morning, we'll be in John chapter 3, verse 34, where John the Baptist, or excuse me, John testifies, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. That's what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 17. And my people, they've heard my voice. They've heard the words you gave to me about you, about your glory, and they've received them. And in these words, there's life. Go back to Genesis 1. When God spoke words, what happened? Stuff. <laughs> when God spoke words, powerful things happened. Life came into existence. There's a reason why we, that's where the scripture starts. When Jesus comes with the words from the Father and gives to them, do not think that Jesus' words do anything less. The words of Christ do the same thing. They come with omnipotent power and they come with life. And when Christ speaks to those who belong to the Father, it does stuff to you. I don't think I've always understood this until recent years. God's word messes with you. God's word does stuff to you. Every time God's word is revealed propositionally. Not off on the river, looking up into the sky, not at the park. God's word is revealed not in through some mystical thing. It's revealed propositionally in this book. And God's word does stuff to you. It changes you. 
It affects you. It affects your thinking, your understanding about who you are, about who He is. The Gospel goes to work on you. And it accomplishes what the Father intends to accomplish in you. Objectively. There is no question about it. In you who believe. There are so many people who hear the Word of God, but it doesn't mess with them. Now, they may have walked the aisle, they may have claimed, I believe, but there's no change. The, the word hasn't messed them, hasn't affected them, hasn't changed them. Well, that's the evidence that they're not true believers. The word of God comes with power and life through Christ, recorded in this book. And it messes with us. This is what a true believer is, Jesus says. As someone who's heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God, the Gospel, has done something to you. It's changed you. It's messed you up in the most sanctifying way. But you're not the same as what you want. Maybe you heard it dozens, maybe hundreds of times previously, but there is one occasion where that same message came in and it had a different effect upon you. It wrecked you. It messed you up for the glory of God. It showed you the life you were pursuing can only be found in a person, in Jesus Christ. And it wrecked you and said, what in the world am I wasting my life with over here? I must have this. I must have Christ. 